Hello, welcome back to Sermon Notes. Uh, I'm Garland, and we've got Clark with us uh, on vacation, but in the office today to record this. So we'll get a uh, we'll get a great glimpse of Clark at his native habitat here. And we've got Josh with us uh, as always. Um, we're continuing in our third um, our third big breakdown of the Gospel of John. We're looking at encounters with Jesus and various people as we go through uh, this section of the Gospel. And so once once again, we're picking different encounters that Jesus has had with individuals. Last week, we looked at Jesus's encounter with Nicodemus, this uh, religious leader, political leader in ancient Israel. Now we're going to get what is seemingly the opposite. It's going to be in um, kind of hostile territory for at least uh, at least sort of Orthodox Judean Jews. Uh, he's going to encounter a Samaritan woman, and it's a very, very famous passage. We'll talk, uh, obviously, extensively about it on Sunday. But Clark, summarize the passage for us. What do we, what do we got here in this passage, in this story? Yeah, Garland, it's super rich. And um, as I was sharing with you before we started recording, it was just, it's almost like you could do probably six distinct sermons uh, from this passage, and it could be its own series. Um, in terms of the topics that are addressed, um, their back and forth conversation, um, it's so good. But what we do have here is the first cross-cultural evangelism um, text that we see in the Gospels and in the New Testament. And Jesus has stepped across and into this place called Samaria and interacting um, with this woman. I think it's um, instructive, Garland, um, to compare a little bit and contrast just our passage from last week with Nicodemus, um, more of a ruling uh, elite, um, protector of the law, um, uh, probably somewhat wealthy or access to that, um, that lifestyle. And here we have a, a woman from a moral perspective, as we'll dig into a little bit. Um, she's definitely not where Nicodemus is. Right. And... Um, and uh, she's uh, compromised, uh, a Jew would say, ethnically and, um, and also morally here. And so um, she's, uh, it's around noon, the heat of the day. Um, Nicodemus uh, visited with Jesus at night. And so there's just a lot um, compared and contrast there. And I think um, as we work through this encounter series, we're going to just see how Jesus, um, he customizes the gospel message and gives them him based on each person's point of pain or need. Right. And so you see that here. And um, I think that the phrase that captures it, if, we were, if I was going to summarize it, was come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. And um, it's a loaded statement. So Jesus interacts with a woman. And they have this encounter. They have this discussion. And it, the discussion will go kind of all sorts of places that initially starts with a conversation about water that Jesus will then uh, will then draw all sorts of Old Testament imagery in about water and cleansing. And she'll change the subject to yep. temple and uh, worship practices. And we may need to get into that here in just a moment. And Jesus will, uh, he's going to give her a very important theology lesson that we we can draw. And so her, her attempt to sort of adjust the, the narrative, Jesus will have an answer for that. And then we're going to see an awesome response from her. She goes to the city and it seems as if this city has a, a significant response to Jesus. In fact, one of the more favorable responses to Jesus in the gospel. So there's the, the encounter in a nutshell. Like we said, it's a famous passage. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. Um, the sermon notes is really where we go 
for what didn't make the sermon. Obviously, you're going to preach it on Sunday, so we can mm-hmm. listen to that. What, especially a story this lengthy, what what's not going to get into the sermon? Are going to have to be condensed down that that yeah. our folks may need to to hear or find helpful. Well, I think we we start out with the scene, and you have them where they at. They're at a well, Jacob's well, and it's understood that this well is um, likely where. Um, Isaac and Jacob, they met their spouses um, at this well. And so um, all through the Old Testament, when it's referenced in the New Testament, you see this um, network, this root system, if you will, of Israel's salvation history. And so Jesus, um, well, actually, John, I don't think it's, um, we, we, we shouldn't miss it here is for him to bring out some of those details is significant if you were a Jew reading this passage and you find yourself at Jacob's well. And so that's interesting to me that this is the place. It's got history um, for both um, Samaritans and Jews. And then I think, and you you uh, alluded to this earlier, when we get down into that back and forth in the middle, down in, in verse uh, 21 to, goodness, 24 here, um, he they have this back and forth about where where real worship happens, and so there's some history there, and there's a divide between Samaritan and Jews, and so let's uh, let's unpack that for a few minutes, Garland. Yeah, so she, Jesus uh, responds to the woman, um, and they're talking about water. Jesus uh, brings to mind her her past marriages, and we're not exactly sure. Uh, why, why she's had five husbands. They could have died. Um, we'll get into that some yeah, on Sunday as well. It leaves it unclear. Uh, the, I think most readers uh, take it to be she's morally compromised in some way, but uh, it's not explicitly clear. And then her response to that is, we can see that you're a prophet. I can understand that. Now, um, for the Sermon Notes listener, you just go and uh, put a little note there in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and Deuteronomy 34. In the book of Deuteronomy, which Samaritans were very familiar with, um, you've got this um, expectation that one day a prophet like Moses will come. And when that prophet like Moses comes, um, everything's going to be different. Our enemies will be destroyed and our land will be blessed and we'll finally experience uh, again this amazing blessing of God. And just like Jews, Samaritans are waiting for this prophet to come. So she she's responding favorably to Jesus by asking that. He yeah. he's, he's speaking to her. She's impressed by him. She can tell he's got this sort of, this knowledge about her without knowing her. So she says, are you the, Deuter- the Deuteronomy 34 prophet that we've been waiting for? And rightly, I don't think she's trying to trap him here. Rightly, she she asked this prophet a theological question, yeah. and it's a question that's divided Jews and Samaritans. Give us a little bit of, we, we don't see that backstory. We also did such a beautiful passage. We can kind yeah. of glean past some of this stuff, but what is the backstory between this mountain and that mountain? What's going on here? Yeah, so. in the late 700s, um, Assyria invades uh, the northern kingdom, and um, and so there's uh, some are deported and moved away, some stay, and the idea is that some Israelites intermarried with 
these Assyrian invaders who now populated their land. So because you're so, throwing in big names all of a sudden to the Sermon Notes podcast, we're talking the history of Israel, and you can yeah. find these collections of these stories in uh, Kings and Chronicles. It's also recorded in our prophets, so you can see some of this in the book of Isaiah, for example. Yeah. Uh, Joel, many, many people think, is talking about this Assyrian invasion. Assyria was a nation uh, rooted in uh, the Tigris-Euphrates River Valleys, and it had expanded its territory. It was, we might say, the big kid on the block at this time in the 8th century BC. And the way that you gained possessions and wealth and crops is by taking it. So you invade other lands and take their stuff, and now you get more. And Assyria had been uh, expanding their territory, and here they're on the doorstep of Israel. And the prophets, those little books that we frequently don't read, you know, the Hoseas and the Amoses Mm -hmm. and those, the prophets were saying... Things like, hey, you know, the Assyrians might actually come in and destroy us. And if they do, that's a sign that we're compromised. We're immorally in failure. If we would turn, then God might just spare us and the Assyrians might be turned away. And so there's your history back in the 8th century BC. And what we see is the the the, the 10 northern tribes of Israel, um, they don't repent. They don't come back to Yahweh. And as a result, this Assyrian empire comes in and invades. And it's bleak when that happens. And so this is this moment that had marked this Northern tribes of Israel. Now, what about the, what about the, the mountain, this worship issue that she brings up? Yeah. So, so Mount Gerizim would be their place, the Samaritan place of what we'd call their cultic worship experience. And it's where they worshiped Yahweh. And that goes back to Joshua, the book of Joshua, when the Israelites came in the land they said set up a Abraham an altar has there. history yeah. there as well. Abraham has, so this is a significant yeah. place. It's not like they've just made up a separate idea here. They they're going, no, this is where God wants us to to where? worship. And the Jews obviously have brought the temp, the temple down with David into the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant down and established the temple down in Jerusalem. And so there's a there's a conflict yeah. here. And she's so, waiting into that. Yeah, traditionally we would think that part of their divide um, and disagreement is rooted in just the fact that the Jews um, see them as those who have intermarried. They're not pure Jews. Um, but really the hostility, I think, is more about where the true place of worship is. And in uh, 128, um, the uh, Jewish leader, um, they destroyed the temple that was on Mount Gerizim. And so in terms of the intensity of the divide that Jews and Samaritans had, um, I think that heightened that sense. It would only been a few um, a few generations before yeah, this. So 150 years before this yeah, encounter, right. a Jewish leader from Jerusalem had led a, a, a band of people to go up and destroy this cult, this cult temple. Right. Imagine, you know, uh, we've seen this throughout history. The Crusades did some of this. We've seen what happens when groups come in and destroy people's religious symbols. It's a big deal. Yeah. And she, she rightly brings it up. Now, it's interesting. Look at Jesus's response, because I think... With all that as the backstory, it brings color to this famous line that we see in verse 24. What, what, what is Jesus hinting at here? This time that has come where he will worship in spirit and truth. This is God's true worshipers. What, what do you? Yeah, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so um, I, I think he's speaking into this idea of the onset of this new kingdom, this new covenant, this new heart that he's about to put in them. Um, at some point, um, as we'll see in Acts, his spirit actually will now come to reside inside followers of Jesus and, and believers. And so 
Um, there's a worship that's not just based on externals. It's not based on a place, but it's found in a person and it's found inside us as the Spirit resides. And it's found, um, it's found as we worship Yahweh through the revelation of the New Testament scriptures as well. And so maybe there's more there. And but, that, that, I mean, you're, we're, we're saying this in a little room here. Yeah. Uh, that should get you going. Yeah, like I mean, if, you're a, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, I'm reading this passage. It's really cool. Look at this awesome encounter from Jesus. We're going to come back to some of just the feelings this passage uh, kind of elicits in a minute. But just hearing this, stop and reflect. You have an ongoing battle for hundreds of years about where we worship Yahweh because we worship God at a place. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. The time is coming. In fact, it's actually here where that will no longer define how you have access to the creator of the universe. Yeah. In fact, you'll have access to him and you'll worship him in spirit and in truth because he's going to come live in and, and reside in you. That is a mind blow for oh, ancient yeah. people and modern. And that means everything you do today, your work, your play, your hobbies, your parenting, your decisions, what comes out of your mouth is an experience of being in the temple presence of God. If you are in Christ. And so, Sometimes we can get lost in the, you know, the the grind of life. And as Jesus followers, let that hit you today. Well, um, and if you want time a, a, great, on that. a great cross-reference, if you want to unpack what that actually looks like, John 14, 15, 16, as Jesus gives us basically his theology of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Romans 8. And what he does. Would yeah, be a great one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Galatians 5, the fruit that yeah. comes from being in the Spirit. Uh we get another another I am statement here. She says, yeah. "I know that the Messiah is coming. Who, the the one that we're waiting for. The, the the not just the prophet, the Messiah." And he says, "Oh well, I am." Now we get the we get it translated as "I am He," but it's yeah. another yet another ego a me statement. I am. Um, yeah, and it's not stated explicitly in the previous uh, few verses, but. Um, I've always uh, seen this passage of him being, I am what the living water. He says it in a different way, mm -hmm. but he's the source of living water that flows that leads to eternal life. Mm -hmm. So it's another metaphor that wasn't in our I am series that we, that we taught, but um, he's the living water and he's claiming to be Yahweh here. All sorts of imagery. Yeah. I mean, just thinking of uh, the water imagery, that's that's all over the Old Testament prophets. So, uh, you know, Ezekiel 36 and 37 mm -hmm. is going to be a place for that. Uh, you can see that this water's flowing out of the restored temple in the end of Ezekiel 40 to 48. It's a significant idea. And Jesus is saying, you know, all that expectation actually comes out through me and knowing yeah. me. Uh I know we're going to get in on Sunday on just the sheer beauty of the encounter. So we're, we're sort of getting into some of the weeds here because yeah. I know we'll, we'll hit some of that or you'll hit some of that on Sunday. Just, just the sheer beauty that it is that Jesus goes into this place where, uh, you know, historians have found that Jews had, they had created three routes that they could walk from Israel up to, from Jerusalem up to the northern part of Israel. And they created routes to walk around this area. Uh -huh. So they didn't interact with these people. And that's precisely where Jesus goes. And we all know we, we can do that in modern, in the modern world. Mm -hmm. Don't go there. Don't talk to them. They're kind of weird. They're on the other side of the aisle. They don't look like us. They don't talk like us. And what an amazing picture yeah. of Jesus going right in. Cause when his disciples show up, they go, what are you doing? Why are you talking to her? And just thinking through just the encounter itself, the beauty in that, uh, well, it's a it's a it's an unpacking even further of of the incarnation. God became man; He dwelt among us, 
In this case, God became vulnerable. He was hungry and thirsty, so much so that he had his need of thirst met by someone who would be considered an enemy mm-hmm. of his heritage, mm-hmm. the Samaritan, and no less a woman in their culture. Yep. And so he continues to stoop and stoop and stoop below so that he can serve mm-hmm. and bring salvation to all peoples. And so this is the incarnation um, uh, on full display here. Yeah, if you think about it, he crosses somewhat some racial lines. Mm-hmm. There's a gender line. You know, respected rabbis would not speak uh, this directly with a woman. He also crosses some, we might call some moral lines. I mean, we, I think we're supposed to read in this, she is at least morally compromised in some way. That's yeah. why she comes at the heat of the day by herself. She's alone on, on the wrong side of the track, morally on the wrong side of the track, racially to Jesus and on the wrong side and the wrong gender for Jesus to have this kind of encounter with her. That at least to the perspective of the disciples, let's put it that way. And Jesus crosses all those boundaries and, and shows her the dignity and the respect of being made in the image of God. And her life has changed. I mean, this is one that's really clear. Like with Nicodemus, we, we, we can surmise that something happened with Nicodemus by the end of John. This one's really clear. Yeah. What's interesting is there's not a belief statement like we've seen in Martha or in Peter and some of the other encounters, but there's definitely life change. She becomes an instant evangelist. Yeah. This she woman. actually drops her water pot, <laughs> yeah. leaves yeah. it, and then she's the one that says, go and, mm-hmm. and then come and see. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's fascinating. Whatever repentance looks like, we don't know if she decided to move out, yeah. her current man that she was with. We don't have those details. But we know that she recognized him as a prophet. Um, and her question, could he be the Messiah? I get the sense that, that was a moment of belief for her. Mm-hmm. And then we know when she goes and tells and says, come and see, something has changed. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating to me, they listen yeah. to her. They get Jesus. He stays two days, and many more believe. Love to have been a part of that. Yeah. <laughs> Just seeing how those scene. conversations went. Hey, Garland, um, what we have here, we can finish um, with this right here, but um, there's a little section in there from, oh, goodness, 34 to... Um, I can read this here in my large print Bible here, 38, um, about <laughs> I the harvest. see that thought from this yeah. side of the table. <laughs> yeah, in, about the harvest. And it's interesting. He talks about this, this harvest and how um, the fields are ready for harvest. And yet as he speaks this, um, he's living out this harvesting moment um, as the gospel is now moving. It's, it's from the Jews, but it's for the world. And so we've got a snapshot of this happening here. And so... Um, what would be some, um, for those of you that are listening, that um, are trying to learn how to share your faith with others, how to communicate the good news in a way that connects with the heart of people, let's end with this. Let's talk about some evangelism principles that maybe we won't get into detail on Sunday um, that, that you see here when you study this passage. I think the first is, are we willing to cross, cross those lines? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's some kind of risk or someone initiates yeah. conversation here. I always love that Jesus is not afraid to be to speak the truth about who he is. He's not afraid to um, point out in her uh, where 
the things that she's seeking are failing. Um, he's, he's not afraid. He doesn't get sidetracked by the theological issue. It doesn't blow up the conversation and turn into a big fight. He has a graciousness about him as they have this conversation. Um, it's a beautiful picture of, of what it looks like for Jesus to take the initiative, um, to approach somebody that, that his disciples have, I mean, they're shocked when he's talking with her and there's some implication for us in that, you know, would we be willing to, to, cross those, some of those boundaries to take the initiative, to point people to Jesus. Um, yeah. it's not, it's not just, uh, what well, did you figure out how you want to live life? Cause it's all working for he's, he's points out that Jesus, that he's the answer. Are we willing to point people to Jesus, but do so winsomely yeah. and graciously? Um, he, he answers her questions. He doesn't get angry with her about the, her question, um, but he doesn't get sidetracked. He points it back to him. It's yeah. the, the, the implications <laughs> for evangelism are huge. And I can just say personally, um, I, I like to talk to, you know, skeptical people, angry at the church people. I tend to, I guess, attract them. I don't know why. Um, or, uh, and one of the things that I do, um, I know many people use Romans six twenty three to share the gospel. And, uh, and that's, that's great. I, I actually use John four as my number one uh, way to, to help people see Jesus. Mm. And I do that because uh, a lot of people are have baggage with the church and angry at, uh, at God, or they're skeptical. They got a big questions. And if I can get them to see just Jesus, like let, mm. that's all that's that very well may still exist. And you, and you may not have your, que- your big questions answered yet. And you may still be mad at the church, but what about this man? And oftentimes I've, I've, uh, when I've summarized the story or shown this people the story, they go, you can just see them go, I, I, I like this person. Um, yeah. I'll investigate more. And oftentimes in our evangelism, that's a, that's a really good first step. You just get them to see Jesus. And so I, I like this encounter series because we're going to help, help them see Jesus, hopefully. And so, yeah, he's personal. Um, he's uncompromising. He's theological. Um, he's vulnerable, gracious. Everything that is the way humanity was supposed to be we see in Jesus in this passage. And so um, we often say, just make sure when you communicate the gospel, you stay focused on the person of Jesus. And he does that. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's himself. Point to the head. Point to the head. Yep. So Garland, thanks for... Yeah, we could spend, we could literally spend hours on this passage, uh, but uh, enjoy this one. Uh, Everybody reading this, everybody studying this this week. It's a beautiful story. Thanks for listening to Sermon Notes. Have a great week.